It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains some strong language from the beginning. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. It's February of this year, and Joe Biden is delivering his big State of the Union address. Members of Congress. Only in this clip, posted on Twitter a week later, you wouldn't have to be an expert in American politics to know that something isn't quite right. Good evening, my fellow Americans. I've made a huge mistake. Are you familiar with the 2011 film We Bought a Zoo? The Matt Damon picture. Anyway, so I was watching We Bought a Zoo a few days ago because it came up on my Disney Plus. This is where the trouble started. Because if someone could really buy a zoo in real life, not just in a movie, then hell, why shouldn't I buy a zoo? So I did. And my fellow Americans, owning a zoo sucks. That, unsurprisingly, is not the real Joe Biden. The comedy writer Zach Silberberg made this fake Biden clip using tools that are freely available online. And it's been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. One of the panthers got loose and I haven't seen it in over eight hours. I'm scared. One of the monkeys ate one of the other monkeys and it was the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. Oh, and I looked at the budget and it turns out I bought the zoo with the money that was supposed to go to our teachers. Fuck me, I guess. That example is obviously a bit silly. Not many people would be taken in by it. But the technology behind it is causing far greater problems. The fucking tablet. Fuck's sake. In this fake recording of Keir Starmer, which circulated on the first day of Labour Party conference, it sounds like he's throwing a tantrum at a member of staff. Again, that clip is not real. And fake clips from politicians, as dangerous as they are, could be the least of our problems. Get this wrong, and AI could make it easier to build chemical or biological weapons. And in the most unlikely but extreme cases, there is even the risk that humanity could lose control of AI completely. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal-scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. 
As experts gather at Bletchley Park this week to try to contain the threat from artificial intelligence, we speak to one of the leading experts in deep fakes. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why MI5 is so worried about AI and the next election. My name's Henry Ida. I'm an expert on deepfakes, generative AI and synthetic media. And for the last six years, I've worked to map this fast evolving landscape, both in terms of positive uh, change, but also threats. And you're speaking to us now from a conference out in South Korea. Yeah, that's right. I'm in uh, Seoul. I've been speaking here as part of a Korean government event where they're looking at the kind of the future of content creation. So I've been speaking about how these tools are really powerful for artists, for advertisers, marketers. But obviously, even if you have good intentions, they can still have unintended impacts. Hmm. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. This line sounds a little bit like AI, but um, this is definitely you. Um, This week, the government is launching a big international conference at Bletchley Park. And last week, Rishi Sunak stood up and made a speech about it. This is all about AI, um, about the long-term risks. Let's start with the short-term ones, though. Two weeks ago, the MI5 chief, Ken McCallum, said that deep fakes are a threat to democracy. And, you know, with the US and the UK having elections over the next year... You know, imagine it's September 2024. What might happen? What what are the biggest risks? I think it's right for the government to be looking longer term. But at the same time, as you said, we have problems that we're dealing with right now, which aren't quite so perhaps theoretical or abstract. Um, And deepfakes really are one of the biggest risks that we're seeing right now, particularly in the context of disrupting democratic processes. MI5 is saying, this could be used in this way. And indeed, we saw the FBI release a similar warning back in 2021. But Mm. these aren't hypothetical threats. They're being used right now. We saw this in the Slovakian elections recently, where a populist president has now been elected uh, pro-Russia. In that campaign, his opponent had several pieces of deepfake voice audio created targeting him that went viral. And, um, you know, they weren't the most realistic, but seems like they resonated with certain parts of the voter base in Slovakia. We've seen in the current crisis in Palestine and Israel, fake AI-generated imagery being used to inflame tensions. We've seen, for example, even recently Keir Starmer targeted in a audio deepfake, which again, wasn't particularly realistic, but it was framed as if this was secretly recorded audio, which is obviously really difficult for journalists to assess because there isn't going to be another copy of that recording that they can compare it to, for example, say if it were a press conference. Mm. So the use cases vary. It could be fake images, putting people in incriminating or uh, inconvenient circumstances. It could be voice audio of them. It could be fake videos where, you know, someone changes their lip movements to make it look like they're delivering a speech which they never gave. So I've been asked every single year since 2018, is this midterm election in the US or is this presidential election in the US going to be the one that we see deepfakes have a big impact? And until recently, I've been pretty dismissive. But 
I'm no longer dismissive because the evidence really? is on the table that this technology is being deployed. Yes. And so I have no doubt that we're going to see it play some role in both the UK and US elections. The big question is how severe the impact is going to be. I've heard people talk about, you know, their biggest fear for the American election is, you know, there's a, a video of, say, Joe Biden falling or saying something, um, you know, that sounds slightly mad and it's released on the eve of the election. And just the argument around whether it's a deep fake or not t- sucks up so much time that people are going to the polls not knowing. Is part of the problem, not just the deep fakes that will be around, but politicians' abilities to say that everything is a deep fake if it's something that's inconvenient? Is it the plausible deniability that comes with having a world of deep fakes around you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, up until recently, this has actually been the most pernicious aspect of deep fakes emerging. has not necessarily been the use of deep fakes themselves, but that uncertainty and plausible deniability they inject into the, the information landscape. And um, we've seen uh, Trump, for example, denied at the infamous Access Hollywood tape of him uh, making very crude comments about grabbing women. Um, you know, he's saying that wasn't him. We've seen this in other contexts around the world. For example, the Pakistani ex-prime uh, minister denying a voice audio of him is real. And we've also seen recently, again, in the context of the Israel-Palestine crisis, real images being dismissed as fake and particularly unreliable deepfake detection tools giving false results saying that real content is fake or fake content is real, which further leads to confusion. So this concept called the liar's dividend, that deepfakes inject this plausible deniability into any media we now consume that's digital, is really destabilizing. And my biggest concern actually in the election context is that a candidate knowingly or otherwise endorses the authenticity of a deep fake or dismisses the authenticity of a real piece of content. And as you said, on the eve of an election, it's the classic adage, a lie is halfway around the world before the troop gets its trousers on, right? You know, it's very hard to correct the record. In fact, it's very clear that most people don't get that correction. And deep fakes really thrive on triggering those emotional responses, those gut responses, and the sad reality is that the more prominent deepfakes get and the more realistic they get, it's going to be harder and harder to detect them. And it's going to be unreliable to use AI to do so itself. And so people are going to end up, I think, going more and more with their gut because the alternative is that they just don't know. It really is terrifying. And it, you know, it does sort of seem to lead to a world where nobody really knows what to trust anymore. For a lot of us, these deep fakes have come along sort of as a, a fait accompli. This you know, amazing technology suddenly exists. You've charted its rise. Take us back to where it begins. I mean, take us back to around mm. 2017. How did it first emerge? Yeah, so it's really important to remember, despite these being very serious threats to democracy, to elections, it's, it's very important to remember that deep fakes first emerged and remain a huge problem in the context of non-consensual pornography. That is swapping women's faces into pornographic footage without their consent or synthetically stripping clothed images of women to make them appear nude. In 2017, this emerged on a subreddit on the platform Reddit. It's a kind of an online forum um, on a subreddit called Deepfakes. That's where the term was first coined by a user of the same name. And he essentially started publishing these deepfakes of, of women non-consensually swapped into pornographic footage. And fast forward to today, this is a huge problem. It's something my researchers tracked in a really 
quite disturbing way. And we're now talking really about millions of women around the world being targeted. And unfortunately, the tools becoming more accessible and the victims becoming uh, increasingly private individuals, not just celebrities, and indeed children too, which is obviously horrific. That remains to this day the biggest fall of harm affecting the most people that deepfakes cause. That's horrific. And these women have no way of stopping these images going anywhere. They have no consent in this at all. But by 2018, you know, a year in, we're already seeing this technology sort of turning to political usage. There was a, an Obama video. Tell us about that. The Obama video is an interesting one because it, what it was was really a PSA, a public safety announcement. It was done in a collaboration between BuzzFeed and the uh, director and comedian Jordan Peele. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. Obama, or his impersonation of Obama with the lip synchronization done using AI, essentially warned people that they could no longer believe things that they heard. For instance, they could have me say things like, I don't know, President Trump is a total and complete dipshit. You see, I would never say these things at least not in a public address, but someone else would, like Jordan Peele. This was very much a warning. It was clearly not intended to deceive people. How we move forward is going to be the difference between whether we survive or whether we become some kind of fucked up dystopia. Thank you. Stay woke, bitches. But even in 2018, one of the most interesting cases I observed was a Russian linked disinformation campaign publishing false tweets from an account impersonating Marco Rubio, the U.S. senator, saying that the Democrats are going to be using deepfakes in the midterms to disrupt the election. Bad actors, even in those very early days, realized that the idea of deepfakes could cause this doubt. The disinformation side of things was, was very nascent, but the tools have become so much more accessible. They require less data to train the models than they did before, less computational power, and um, all you now need is an email and a password in many cases, and maybe a credit card to access tools that six, seven years ago, you know, Hollywood studios wouldn't have dreamt of having access to, right? So this democratization of the technology obviously both has benefits for creatives, for people in certain commercial fields, even for accessibility reasons, right? I mean, it's not all bad, but there are clear malicious uses, which right now we are not particularly well prepared to deal with. And um, this is, as many people say, it's a bit cliched now, but this is the worst the technology is ever going to be. It's only going to get better. And so, yes, this is going to change things quite profoundly, in my view. It's amazing to think anybody with a credit card could start to, to put out images that could potentially affect an election one way or another. You also mm. mentioned, you know, that you know, Russia got in on the app quite early. They've certainly used it to great effect in the past. Tell us about the deep fake of Zelensky that comes out in about 2021. Mm. Yeah, sure. So I covered this uh, case in my, uh, I did a documentary for the BBC on this topic. And uh, we spoke to one of the reporters at this Ukrainian TV station where this deepfake of Zelensky was actually hacked onto the live news. And it was a deepfake of Zelensky. Looks like he was giving an address to camera, ordering his troops to surrender. The Ukrainians, now, the Ukrainian government 
did really well what we call pre-bunking, that is warning people that Russia were going to be creating deep fakes of Zelensky and that they should be aware, only listen to our official feeds and channels for, for news and so on. And the deep fake itself was quite crude. So in some cases at that moment in time, it was almost the best case scenario for a pretty bad situation, right? The country was fairly well prepared, the quality wasn't the best, and the claims it was making weren't particularly believable. But if we fast forward, we've seen deep fakes of Biden announcing a general mobilization. Putin's illegal occupation of Kyiv and the impending Chinese blockade of Taiwan has created a two-front national security crisis that requires more troops than the volunteer military can supply. Remember, you're not sending your sons and daughters to war. You're sending them to freedom. God bless our troops and God bless Ukraine. It's really spreading. And one of the really interesting things is that people are dismissing content really quickly as deepfakes when it's not something they want to believe. Mm. You know, yes, deepfakes can cause chaos, but we're now at the point where people will just say, prove it's not a deepfake. We're suddenly seeing it, as you say, causing chaos in so many spheres, you know, whether it's reporting a war, potentially how it might influence an election. We also saw earlier this year an AI image uh, of an explosion near the Pentagon. This was a case that I and, and other experts in the space have been anticipating for some time, and that is the use of deepfakes in calculated market manipulation. An explosion right near the Pentagon. An image of an explosion at the Pentagon today. Smoke billowing near a white building. So this case involved a fake image of the Pentagon on fire going viral on, on Twitter and was actually retweeted by Russia Today. The fake photo was shared by a variety of verified Twitter accounts. Multiple accounts with Twitter's new pay-for-play blue check marks. Retweeted by a Russian propaganda outlet and rocketing its way towards Wall Street. And this led to this image going quite viral and a brief stock market dip on the Dow Jones for about five minutes. The Dow now down about 200 points. The S&P uh, down about a quarter of a percent right now. About a $100 billion stock market move. One expert said the image showed signs of having been generated by artificial intelligence. Take a look. The Pentagon is fine. But obviously, five minutes on the markets is an eternity. You can make a lot of trades in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And so this might have been the first recorded case of this happening, but I'm confident it will not be the last. The market manipulation side of things is, is no joke. Coming up, the scenarios the intelligence agencies are most afraid of. That's in just a moment. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. 
In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Henry, the UK government and the intelligence services, you know, ahead of this conference at Bletchley have released reports setting out sort of some of the scenarios they are most worried about. For the first time, we've taken the highly unusual step of publishing our analysis on the risks of AI, including an assessment by the UK intelligence communities. You know, while AI might help with answering some of the biggest questions that we've never been able to take on before. It can help us finally achieve the promise of nuclear fusion. It can help us solve world hunger by making food cheaper and easier to grow. And AI could help find novel dementia treatments or develop vaccines for cancer. There are also fears that it could lead to an unemployment crisis, it could help terrorists with bioweapons, it could lead to mass misinformation, as we've been talking about. Terrorist groups could use AI to spread fear and destruction on an even greater scale. Criminals could exploit AI for cyber attacks, disinformation, fraud, or even child sexual abuse. For you, what are the worst-case scenarios of AI over the next decade or so? I am conscious of the risks in the context of biological warfare, in other contexts, you know, including some of the conversations around superintelligence, artificial general intelligence, you know, AI that becomes hyper-capable of doing many different tasks and then potentially is able to do those things in a kind of a non-directed way, can kind of act autonomously. I don't particularly want to speculate on that because that's not my area of expertise, but I guess the situations I really fear is a complete breakdown in trust in the entire digital media ecosystem Mm. where going with your gut is, in some respects, the most viable option. Because we can say to people, hey, look, everything that you consume can now be AI-generated. That phone call with your mother, that image from this protest that's happening in London, that video of Keir Starmer talking about Rishi Sunak, all of these things could be fake. But we don't have any way to reliably and consistently tell you what is real or not. So good luck. And the impact of that could be pretty catastrophic. I also do worry about this in the context of the legal world. All it will take is one case, in my view, of someone being either acquitted or incriminated based on a piece of deep evidence. And I believe, again, it will happen somewhere in the world. And that will then set a precedent for people to say, well, can you prove that this image is AI generated? Can you prove that piece of audio is actually authentic and not a deep fake? And it will shift the burden of proof in a way which I think will be quite hard for the legal system to cope with. And then I guess finally, the political situation. So in a very polarized and fragmented information space, already deepfakes just add fuel to that fire. And given those incredibly alarming scenarios, I mean, this summit at Bletchley, if it is successful, if it is able to achieve anything, what should that be? What solutions are out there for the problems that you've outlined? Yes, these are problems that we're facing right now. It's not theoretical that the technology exists to do this, whereas some of the discussions that will be going on at Bletchley are going to be much more about what the future may hold. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more on the agenda for Bletchley, some discussions of how we preserve election integrity, information integrity, using technologies such as content provenance so people can see where it's been created, see how it's been edited. Hopefully, this is the first summit of, of many different conversations of this kind that happen. 
between international governments. And one thing's clear in a world where you can develop a tool in one country and it can have global impact. It is essential that these conversations are happening across the globe. It's interesting. People within the AI world seem to be calling for more regulation. There was Professor Stuart Russell has been around over the last week saying government needs to intervene. There needs to be regulation of some of these things. And at the moment, governments uh, are not even able to find out if their country is under attack by another country who's trying to destabilize their democracy. What we need is red lines, behaviors that AI systems cannot exhibit, such as replicating themselves. And then, as in other areas like nuclear power and aviation, the developers have to demonstrate to the regulators that their systems cannot exhibit those behaviors. And if their system does cross those red lines, it would have to be immediately terminated. So there also has to be an effective off switch that the AI system can't disable. As you say, that probably needs global agreement for it to be effective. You know, just having government regulation in this country doesn't matter when the internet is obviously global. We seem to be having trouble engaging the rest of the world on this. Nobody's quite sure if China's even going to come to Bletchley. Where do they fit in on on some of the stuff that you've been talking about, deepfakes, etc.? I think China's a really interesting one. China's passed some legislation, uh, the Deep Synthesis Act. They're also looking to pass more legislation on AI. And some of the policies in there are things I think the UK and some other countries can potentially learn from around consent for being targeted in AI-generated content, disclosing AI-generated content to viewers. I think these are good principles, but obviously there are going to be differences around freedoms of speech with the use of these tools, exemptions for things like satire and critical speech. And, you know, China is, is you know, without question, the second most powerful country in the world when it comes to AI. So I think it'd be a shame if they didn't make it. Does it even make sense for us to sign up to regulations if China don't? I think it does, insofar as even if, let's say, a country like China were to play by different rules and for what it's worth, I think China is more likely to at least publicly develop stricter rules in some regards. They have a very different style of governing information and governing the way the tech is developed in their country, obviously, than, than some other countries in the West. The way that regulation is going to work is, of course, there's always going to be some people that don't play ball. But the more countries that can get together around a shared set of values, the more weight they have in them potentially responding to other countries that take different paths, which are either irresponsible or not aligned with values that are agreed by a large proportion of nations to be ethical and necessary. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Henry Ida. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer was Fiona Leach, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you'd like to get in touch with us about anything you've heard in this episode, or if you have any ideas for stories that you'd like us to look at, please do drop us a line at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 